Almost everyone has heard this story. And some people really struggle with this virgin birth. How does it work? Does God really do this? Was this his plan? Now, we certainly know Joseph struggled with it. You know, polls reveal that less and less Christians believe in the virgin birth. Unbelief is not new. It's understandable, especially when someone, well, maybe has never experienced God. But God back then, and even now, continues to work mysteriously and miraculously. May God today open up all of our eyes and surprise us today. We do celebrate the coming of our Savior during Christmas, and there are so many facets to this great story of love and redemption. So far, we have focused on the important roles that Zechariah and Elizabeth and the shepherds have played in this Advent story. This morning, though, we will explore Mary and Joseph's story as God's perfect redemptive plan continues to unfold. I keep saying this, but this is a good story. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, for many years, so many of us are, we're singing Christmas carols. We celebrate the Savior's birth. We've heard this story. We've told this story. We've read this story. So in some ways, God, this is really an old story. And in some ways, we may not be mesmerized anymore. We, we may be comfortable And just in some ways think, okay, well, this is part of the year. It's part of the church calendar. And yeah, we do Christmas and we do Easter. But Lord, it's so much more than just Christmas. It's your story being told in an unbelievably powerful way. Lord, we can't relate to Joseph and to Mary. We we can't. We try to, and we put ourselves in their shoes, but but it's just really hard. We know, God, that you loved us and that we rebelled and we've gone our own way. But God, you desire a relationship with us and you desire for each one of us to be part of your family and then to eventually spend eternity with you forever and ever. God, your plan was unusual. And it involved two young people. God, would you open our eyes fresh to who you are And could we learn from Mary and Joseph this morning, God? Would this story give each one of us wings? Would it inspire us? Would it convict us? Would it draw us to you? We thank you, Father. We thank you for your word. And we pray this day, this time, would bring you great honor and glory. Lord, it's still a little hard to focus on Christmas this year. There are so many things going on. We have lost jobs and sickness and confusion and discouragement. Lord, we would ask that you would meet each one of us today in a very special way. And all the things that are going on in our world, even though they are really important, 
maybe we could put them aside for a little bit. To be able to hear from you and be able to understand you as our good, good Father. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. Amen. Let's try to put ourselves in Joseph and Mary's shoes. As I prayed, I honestly think that's almost impossible. We don't really understand the culture. We don't really understand the pressures. We, we can read about it and we can try to relate. And hopefully that's what will happen this morning. Is that maybe you'll see something a little better, a little clearer. And it might encourage your hearts. But both of these young people were pretty amazing. We know culturally the normal age, probably Mary, 12, 13, 14, maybe a little older, maybe Joseph, 18, 19, 20, somewhere in that area. And if we were to just, well, put them in this culture, ours is a little different. It probably would be a young lady somewhere around 18 years old, in my guess, ready to begin life. On her own, after being reared in a home. Perhaps the guy, Joseph in his case, might be 22, 23 years old. Already established, already working on a home. Although they were younger back then, it's probably easier to relate, at least at this moment. Dr. Luke, and I'd like you to turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke... Dr. Luke tells Mary's story in about 220 words. This story, as I said, is so well known. This story has been even memorized by some of you. But it takes about 220 words. And what I'd like to do is read through it. So we're going to start in Luke chapter 1. And we're going to start at verse 26. And you can follow along in your Bibles, on your flat screens, or on the screen behind me. Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26. And I'm just going to read through verse 29 in this first part. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Now remember, we focused on Elizabeth and Zechariah. This was um, Mary's cousin, And she was later in her years, and God miraculously, again, um, used Elizabeth in, well, birthing a child, uh, a man named John, the forerunner of Jesus himself. But in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. Again, a very small town wasn't a very significant town. In fact, most of the folks back then thought not a whole lot of good could come out of Nazareth for a few reasons. So this is where Gabriel went. And, and they went to a village in Galilee to a virgin named Mary, a young lady that has never been with a man. A young lady, as we're going to find out, is betrothed. She's ready for marriage, for this next step. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Nobody, again, could even begin to fathom what was going on here. I don't think Mary had ever seen an angel before, right? But some angel named Gabriel meets Mary and gives her some words. Hi there. You are greatly favored. Okay. The response, confused, What is going on? What makes me so greatly favored? 
Look at verse 30. <laughs> Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. Second time he says this. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Now, again, I'm pretty sure she's sharp, and I'm pretty sure she's hearing all these words, and I'm pretty sure, again, she's probably processing this whole thing, and okay, well, maybe uh, uh, this is a special message. I'm going to eventually have a baby, and I'm supposed to name this baby Jesus. But these next words, she couldn't figure out. Not initially. He, this baby, will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Things are, are, are getting a little more confusing right now. Oh, okay. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. She probably stops right here and saying, Hey, wait a minute. I am a peasant girl. I come from a peasant family. I come from Nazareth. What are you talking about? Just help me understand this. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over Israel forever. And his kingdom will never end. Now, we know that Mary was quite, shall we say, knowledgeable about the Scriptures, as we're going to find out. But this was blowing her away. Verse 34, first thing that comes to Mary's mind, Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. I, I've kept my vows of chastity. I am looking forward to a relationship with my husband. But, but I haven't had one yet. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the baby to be born will be holy. And Mary knew what that meant. And she knew this was not normal. And he will be called the Son of God. The term the Israelites knew as the Messiah. What's more, angel keeps talking, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she conceived a son. And now she's in her sixth month. But the word of the Lord will never fail. That is a powerful line. This was supposed to bring comfort to Mary. I want you to know that God said this was going to happen, and in human perspective, could never, ever, ever happen. But God's Word, God's Word will never fail. says this right after the angel gave Mary all these words from God. And then verse 38 doesn't say how fast she responded. I don't know if she thought for just a little bit or if she was just tracking and this just came out. The angel was still there, as you're going to see. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Then the angel left her. Then if you continue to read um, down from uh, in Luke there, as you, as you uh, kind of follow this story, the scriptures proceed to tell us that she heads off to Elizabeth's home right after or very soon after she receives this news. It sounds like as you read through the scriptures that she probably stayed at least three months, probably until John the Baptist was born. And then she returned home somewhere in her second trimester. Now we have one of Mary's responses to God um, recorded for us in the scripture. And what I'd like you to do is not follow along. I'd like you to literally 
kind of uh, listen. Maybe even shut your eyes. But this is how Mary responded later on as she gets the news, as she visits Elizabeth. This is just a young lady who is filled with anticipation. Let's listen. It's found in Luke chapter 1, verse 46. But I'd like you to listen. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy. And he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. So let me just recap quickly. A young, uneducated peasant from a rather obscure town was told by an angel that she would bear the Messiah, the Christ. And this baby would come in a most unusual way. She would come to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Now, normally, anytime some young lady or a family gets the news that you're having a baby, this is really exciting time. And in some ways, I think this was an exciting time for Mary, but she had so many questions. Even the whole idea is, well, how does the Holy Spirit do this? Mary's faith shouted in her amazing response. Her life would change now. I'm sure she probably just thought of the next day or week or month and how this was going to look and how she was going to try to explain this in a culture that was so very, very community-oriented. Everybody knew everybody's news and everybody was part of everybody's life. This is something she couldn't hide. She was so young, with actually so little support. We don't know of how her parents responded, but even that, a daughter they loved and cherished, the daughter they trusted, a daughter that they believed told the truth. And she would tell them, I have been faithful to Joseph. This is God. This is God's doing. In fact, the Messiah is growing in my womb. If she said that today, would she be put in a mental institution? To be quite honest, are you crazy? Hey, everybody knows how this happens, Mary. I just want you to know. But Mary's response initially was, hey, whatever you say, God, I'm your servant. You want me to do this? I'm all in. Where where does that come from? It comes from a young lady that knows God very, very, very much. So she knew in many ways, at least initially, this was not going to go well nor received well. I mean, she hardly was going to be a wife, much less a mom. And even as the days went on, how do you rear the Son of God? How do you do this? I think ultimately it came to one of these questions. How am I going to tell Joseph? How how am I going to do that? I mean, I'm pretty sure not everyone's believing me anyway. And he is my husband... I know this is not going to sound right, but when will I tell him? And I think she must have rehearsed her words a hundred times. 
We don't know how long it took for her to share the news. But in Matthew, and if you'd like to turn your Bibles there, in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew tells Joseph's story. But Matthew tells Joseph's story in 27 words. Luke told Mary's story in 220. This is short. This is right to the point. But let's read through it. Matthew chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 18. Matthew, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he just cuts right to it. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. You want to know how Jesus the Messiah was born? Hey, here it is. I'm going to let you in on it. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, and by the way, both stories mention this. This is a big deal. All right? She became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man. A word used of someone who was a God follower. These, both of these folks followed God, loved God. At this point, Mary had to have told him. And listen to what happens. He was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. We're going to go over this in just a moment and give us a little bit of culture. But it almost feels like, okay, here's a righteous man. My girlfriend comes up to me, which is actually more than a girlfriend. It's supposed to be uh, my wife. She says she's pregnant. I love her to pieces. I, I'm going to just be quiet about this. We're going to divorce, and I'm going to move on. Next verse, verse 20. As he considered this, which again we're going to find out was perfectly acceptable. But as he considered this, this act, this loving, gracious act as we're going to see, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Just that. Now, how many of you had dreams? How many of you realized that, okay, sometimes these dreams, I've been told about this, I'm kind of thinking, uh, maybe this is just a dream. I, I don't know if it's God, but it's a good dream so far. And then the angel goes on. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Oh, whoa, whoa, wait, wait. That's exactly what Mary told me. I'm not understanding this. Verse 21. And she shall have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Then he continues this angel. All of this occurred, Joseph, to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet, which was in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. He says, look, a virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which again we've sung about, but it was very clear, God is going to be with us. Then the scriptures tell us something amazing. Verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did. And I would encourage you again in your Bibles to circle or box it or highlight something here. But his response to this unbelievable story that was going to affect him just as much as Mary He did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Let me recap this again. So Mary tells Joseph the news. However she did it, I'm pregnant. 
to the majority of the culture, whenever that would happen, it would be great joy and blessing and dancing and music. During this betrothal period, Joseph knew what this meant. Now, we don't know how Joseph responded right away. We don't have words. The scripture has not told us. But we do have his plan. And the plan actually shows a very loving response. He loved her and would quietly divorce her. Because you may not know this, but in Deuteronomy chapter 22, the alternative is this, stoning her. Taking her life from her because of her unfaithfulness. So if you look at the two options, I think the divorce option seems a little better at the moment. Okay? If he was really ticked, if he was really offended, if he is, you know, he could have easily said, you know what? You are unfaithful and you need to be stoned. Now let's try and understand how much Joseph feared God and how much he actually loved Mary in this first century uh, Jewish culture. Now this may not be something that you're really drawn to, but I'm going to give you just a quick overview. Hebrew parents would normally arrange for a marriage. And you've all heard about this, or you've read about this, and, and we get it, all right? But what happens is, is that it just seems so offensive to us. I mean, I, I look at my parents, as wonderful as they were, I just, I, can I trust them? Like, would they, who would they pick for me? You know, I mean, come on. I would get stuck with my beautiful wife. They would probably pick her now that I think of it. Because she's perfect for me. All right? But no, every one of us, we would be in fear if you're a woman. Like, oh, mom, please don't pick that guy. Oh, my word. I, can't, I could never. And, and the guy's going, oh, man, come on. Let's, you, you know. It'd be a weird thing. But what happens here is that the Hebrew parents would arrange this. And the bride's parents would agree to the groom's parents, for the most part, in particular the groom, for a mohair. And we're not talking about a haircut. This is a bride's price. And it sounds crude. Like you're paying for your bride? And we've all read stories about this. But actually, again, in this culture, it was a beautiful thing. It was saying, the groom was saying, you know what, I want to help you with the wedding festivity. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. Also, because of the culture, if for some reason during this betrothal period, which we're going to mention, if the guy really didn't like her, he would divorce her or dump her. And that sounds real crude. And this money that was given would help sustain this bride-to-be, which is now not a bride. So, Arranged marriages actually had two huge benefits. First of all, families were always involved in the lives of their children, and it strengthened community. We're not so community-oriented in our world right here. But back in that first century, their very lives depended on all families working together. Okay? Second thing is that the focus was on commitment, not on attraction. In other words, you would marry somebody uh, and be committed to that person, not because at one time in your life she was personality. So these two things were strengthened. Now let me tell you about the two parts of a Hebrew wedding. The first part, the betrothal, uh, it's, it's called the kiddoshin. That's the Hebrew term for it. And this is the stage that Mary and Joseph were in. As soon as they were betrothed, all right, everyone considered them as husband and wife. That's why the word divorce is used here. It wasn't just a breakup. The only thing that wouldn't happen would be the intimacy part. Intimacy would have to wait until the hapa, the actual ceremony. All right? But infidelity was a big deal to God and still is and to the Jews. 
Now, eventually, after this year or so, where the husband is preparing the household and the bride is learning all the things about being a mom and a household manager, all right, finally, the hapa comes, the wedding ceremony. And again, it's so foreign to us because that could last up to seven days, all right? Now, Vows are exchanged under this canopy in a Jewish wedding. And this canopy or hapa um, actually makes a statement. What they are saying when a couple comes under there is that we are establishing a new home together under this roof, this canopy. But what's really cool about this tradition is that all four of the sides are actually open. And what a Jewish couple is saying is, we want to invite the community to also be part of our, our marriage. We know we're not going to be wise enough to make decisions. We know that there's going to be tough times. We know that a community is going to be necessary for us to move forward. Now, here's the hard part. No one says if Mary and Joseph had a hapa. This would destroy any Jewish girl, just so you know. Because it is this commitment, especially of the community, to walk with them through tough times. It would have been a normally a festive occasion. But that probably didn't happen. There was probably the shame. There was probably... Pain, the scorns. And Mary did nothing wrong. In fact, she was highly favored by God. This is not making sense. Now let's get back to the Joseph story. Now you understand Joseph's options. Being an honorable man, then Joseph would divorce Mary quietly. But God intervened. This was so cool. God intervened and spoke to Joseph in a dream. He literally shared with Joseph that this was a prophecy that was being fulfilled, given by the prophet Isaiah. Now I'm sure Joseph again had a whole lot of questions before the dream. But after this dream, it became a reality. And I got to believe he had more questions. Michael Card sings a song called Joseph's Song. And I'd like you to listen to Joseph's song right now. How could it be this baby in my arms sleeping He's not my own, not of my flesh, not of my bone. Still, Father, let this baby be the son of my love. Father, show. So small 
His face and hands so fair. And when he cries, the sun just seems to disappear. And when he laughs, it shines again. How could it be? Father, show me. Joseph's response was amazing. His response, first of all, to God. His delivery was totally different. He had no chance to respond verbally, as in some of the other angel visitations. The only recorded response was he did what the angel commanded. He obeyed God for that day without actually knowing all the things that would happen in the future. Joseph's response to Mary was unbelievable. He took her as his wife. Such a short sentence. Something so very, well, pithy. But he knew what that meant. He knew he would, well, together weather the scorn. They together would be a couple. They together would begin this one-of-a-kind journey together. You know, I started off the message asking you to try to put yourselves in Mary and Joseph's shoes. We can learn so much from these teenagers. Both had great faith, and both responded so well to God. God gave each one of them a command. Don't be afraid. I know this is going to be scary. I know no one's ever done this before. I know this plan seems absolutely crazy to you. But don't be afraid. You have trusted me all along. I'm not going to let you down. Trust me. It seems like a theme. It was given to Zechariah. It was given to the shepherds. Don't be afraid. I am God. I'm the Almighty God. Things don't always look like they ought to look, but I am in charge. I love you. I care for you. That's why Christmas is so beautiful. He again, most unique way ever, shouting to each one of us, you matter. I matter. I love you. I'm going to send my son who will be 100% God and 100% man. And someday he's going to end up at the cross. 
He's going to shed his blood so you and I can have a relationship. We can be restored. I was thinking things would have really looked different if they let fear rule. If their faith in God were weak. Or if their scary circumstances took over. You know, following God can make us uncomfortable and even fearful, even in days like today. But the message is still the same. Don't don't be afraid. Trust me for today. I I don't know what the future holds, but our God is in charge. And people are going to look differently at you. They might think you're a little odd, to be quite honest. But God says, don't be afraid. In Psalm 23, verse 4, the psalmist writes and talking about the good shepherd. The same advice, even when I walk through dark valleys. It's not if, it's when. I will not be afraid because you are close to me. That's God's promise. God's promise says, I'm going to make it all better. No, God's promise says, when you walk through, I'm there with you. You know, God's miraculous intervention in the lives of this young couple leads to the greatest gift of all, the Messiah the Savior, who arrived in the most unusual way. We're going to keep focusing on this amazing story this Thursday. We hope you can come back and join us as we look at, again, the Savior's birth through the eyes of someone different. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for your grace. I thank you for your love. God, we know we don't think like you. We don't understand all the things that you understand. But you love people of faith. You love each one of your kids to hang on to you in spite of what the future looks like and even today. Lord, some of us didn't sign up for the troubles that we have or the discouragements. We don't understand what you're doing in our world and maybe even in our lives. But God, you are an amazing God. You are a God of surprises. You are a God of miracles. You are a God that is involved in our lives and we say thank you. Lord, I even pray right now that whether someone listening online or someone right here in this building, maybe they don't know you, the God that cares, the God that loves, the God of miracles, the God that wants to be involved in our lives. I pray today, dear God, that you would draw them to yourself and that they would take that step of faith even today, this Christmas season. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us as we sing?
so that each one of us might have a better snapshot of God and that he might pay our debt. Christmas is amazing. And we would love to, as a church, walk with you on this journey, encourage you on this journey. If you'd like some prayer, even this morning, we have a prayer team ready to pray with you, encourage you, and help you. If you want to fill out a connection card and get con- or, or, or get contacted later on this week, you can do that and put it in our connection box. We're so grateful you're here. We are. And trust that this old, old story has given you some new perspective and that God might, wow, Show up in different, mysterious ways all the way through your day and your week. We're so glad you're here. We really are. If you want to give, part of our worship experience is to give our tithes and offerings. You can do that online or in the columns as you leave. And then lastly, our last celebration of this season The Advent season is going to happen on Christmas Eve. It's going to happen at 5 o'clock. We'd love for you to come back and to join us as we focus again on our loving and amazing God. Thanks for coming. May God continually encourage you this Christmas season. And may you continually make a difference wherever God sends you. Have a great week. We'll see you Thursday.